The following podcast is sponsored by Financial Sense Wealth Management. To learn more about our investment services, go to FinancialSenseWealth.com or give us a call at 888-486-3939. It was a historic day on Wall Street. The S&P 500 closed above 5000 for the first time ever. Happy days are here again, as they said in the 1920s. Uh, this is the 2020s, and uh, my roaring 2020 scenario is almost on steroids here. There are a lot of signs that we're not at euphoria, at least not yet. For starters, mm-hmm. Americans put a trillion dollars into money market funds last year. Correct. Most of that, if not none of that, has come out yet. That's not euphoria. How many IPOs did we have last year? Four? Yeah, seven? Sure. I feel like I can count them. That's not quite euphoria. No IPOs this year yet either, worth speaking of. Um, Those are two of the things just off the top of my head that you would say would be very inconsistent with this idea that it's 1999. This is not that is, you know, we will we might get there if this keeps up. We just we haven't gotten there yet. The White House is on damage control today, scrambling after last night's fiasco of a press conference. President losing his temper with reporters after the special counsel questioned his mental acuity. And then just as he insisted that he was mentally sharp, he made a huge blunder, referring to the president of Egypt as the president of Mexico. Mexico? Where did that come from? We just saw an unmitigated disaster play out before our very eyes. Yesterday was absolutely the worst day of Joe Biden's presidency. He shot himself in the foot. He looked terrible. This is becoming a five alarm fire for the White House. Many Democratic power brokers are reportedly in panic mode. You're seeing a man with age-related cognitive decline. You can see how memory and pieces of factual information are falling through the cracks. We knew things were bad. Evergrande, the biggest property developer in the world. But when we see indexes fall 8% in a day, something's up. Evergrande and Country Garden together have $500 billion worth of debt. Two companies have 500 billion. Every single property developer in China that's public or listed is in default today. China's in real trouble. Xi Jinping announced over the weekend that he wants to make talking about China's economy in a negative way, you know, a national security issue. So he started wiping websites clean of negative economic data about China. When you start pointing at short sellers and and eliminating data online, you know how bad it is. This is the Financial Sense News Hour. Now, here's the Financial Sense News Team. Well, the indexes all moved higher this week with the big tech stocks leading the way. The market's advance is being driven by fewer and fewer stocks as leadership continues to narrow in just the big cap names as breath and the stock market continues to deteriorate. Today's markets are becoming more confusing and bifurcated. Some areas of the market are doing well, which includes a handful of overvalued tech stocks. But interest rates are rising, and given the recent strength in the job numbers, the Fed is highly unlikely to lower rates next month, as Wall Street is expecting. The 2, the 10, and the 30-year bond are now on the rise, with the two-year note approaching 4.5%. That's not good news for the government, which will need to refinance a third of its debt this year, with interest expense rising to well over a trillion dollars, representing nearly 20% 
of total government tax revenues. Hi, everyone. I'm Jim Poplov, and welcome to the Financial Sense News Hour. We have a packed show today with two great guests, Mish Schneider from Market Gauge and Jim Bianco from Bianco Research. Mish sees several warning signs regarding the market's advance, which is not being supported by breath, with fewer and fewer companies leading the advance. She likes gold as more countries move away from the dollar. Following Mish, Jim Bianco and I discuss the economy's chances for avoiding a recession, the return of inflation, and why interest rates are likely heading higher. But first, Ryan Poplava up next with analysis and commentary. Mega cap stocks have sustained the upward momentum of major stock indices throughout this week. While the percentage of stocks maintaining positions above their 50-day moving average has diminished within the S&P 500 since the year start, now currently standing at around 63% of the S&P 500, this underscores the limited breadth of the recent market surge. Nevertheless, the resilience observed in the number of stocks advancing each day this week helped lift stocks higher. Traditionally, new highs tend to inspire further highs as market trends unfold, yet the looming threat of investors flocking into a select few stocks, potentially creating an overcrowded trade scenario, casts a shadow over this rally for discerning investors. The deterioration in breadth has set up the potential for Hindenburg omens, a technical indicator designed to highlight the increased chance of a correction due to deteriorating breadth. Well, there were some major earnings announcements this week as we are still in the thick of the fourth quarter earnings season. A slew of bond auctions from the Treasury that saw solid demand from investors all week. Little in the way of economic news that changed the current narrative. And finally, some banking issues to discuss and continued FOMC official job owning for rates later this year versus now. Some of the big earnings winners this week were on Semiconductor up 9.5%. Coherent up 17.4%, DuPont up 7.4%, Arm Holdings up 47.9%, Disney up 11.5%, Post Earnings, and the announcement they invested a 1.5 billion stake into Epic Games, jumping into the video game industry. These were the key winners, while Snap fell 34.6%, missed revenues, and issued a disappointing guidance for their first quarter earnings estimates. Amgen also fell 6.4% after a quite a, a bit of a stellar run as of late to all-time highs on profit-taking post-earnings. There were a few key bond auctions this week to note by the Treasury. $54 billion in three-year notes were auctioned on Tuesday, where the 10-year declined seven basis points to 4.09% on that news. There was a $42 billion 10-year note auction Wednesday. Finally, a $25 billion auction of 30-year bonds Thursday, with the tenure rising to 4.17% on stronger claims data that day. All auctions were met with strong demand, and last I checked, close to the bell, the tenure was sitting right about the same at about 4.18%. Economic results didn't move the market that much, but uh, rates moved up on the claims data. Weekly initial claims fell to 218,000 from a revised 227,000 in the prior week. The only other key data was the Consumer Credit Report, which showed credit increased by $1.6 billion in December following a downwardly revised $23.5 billion in November. Not really an economic announcement, but of the same ilk was the Consumer Price Index revisions released on Friday. The report was considered friendly as it didn't change the market's view on possible rate cuts later this year. 
This is in stark contrast to last year's revisions, which caused a hotter number than expected for the market to react to. Equities and bonds didn't seem to react to the news Friday on the CPI revisions. And I like Nick Tamaris's summary, calling it a nothing burger. So we're no longer talking about March cuts, but instead looking out to May, which has a 50% chance of a quarter point cut. On to the banking and the Federal Open Market Committee front. There were some significant news items this week, but investors shrugged it off. New York Community Bank Tuesday was said to be pressured by regulators to cut its dividend in a report found in Bloomberg. The following day, Moody's downgraded its long-term issuer rating to junk, which caused shares to fall before rallying strongly that day throughout the rest of the week on short covering and investment. Meanwhile, the Federal Open Market Committee team was out in force. Starting off uh, with the previous weekend, Powell told 60 Minutes that the Fed needs to see more evidence that inflation is moving sustainably down to its 2% target before lowering rates. Midweek, Minneapolis Fed President Kashkari, a non-voter, said two to three rate cuts this year are appropriate based on his estimates. And Federal Open Market Committee voter and Governor Adriana Kugler said the policy directive is balanced and the current rate may need to be held there for longer if disinflation stalls. There were some interesting signs this week compared to the last several. Uh, Bitcoin was uh, has started to move higher to retest its highs post the ETF approval by the SEC triggering a sell the news reaction in January, while the mega cap stocks continue to carry the weight of stocks higher. Several earnings announcements this week had positive investor reactions. Overall, it's impressive to see the S&P 500 breaching 5,000 this week. If you look at the charts, um, it is overbought. If you look at an RSI or 14-week RSI, and the S&P 500 is up 14 of the last 15 weeks. But for now, the trend is your friend. That covers this week's wrap-up. Uh, last week, I mentioned the, my free newsletter subscription and received an overwhelming response from many of you. Besides my monthly market observation piece, this week I send out my annual service calendar, which points out important dates and topics investors should review to make sure their finances are in tip-top shape every year. If you'd like to be added to my free newsletter, just email me, ryan, R-Y-A-N, dot P-U-P-L-A-V P -U -P -L -A -V, as in Victor A., at financialsense.com, and I'll be sure to add you to my free content. Up next, Chief Strategist at Market Gauge, Mish Schneider. In two years, the expiration of the Trump tax cuts may result in higher taxes for many Americans. If you're tired of paying more taxes each year and want to keep more of your hard-earned money, consider reaching out to Financial Sense Wealth Management. Our team can assist you in creating a personalized financial plan aimed at lowering your taxes both now and in the future. With a custom-tailored approach, we can explore various options such as tax-free, tax-deferred, and tax-sheltered strategies to help alleviate your tax burden. By reducing your taxes, you'll have extra money in your pocket that can be utilized for spending, saving, or investing. Take the first step toward tax reduction by calling Financial Sense Wealth Management at 888 486-3939. Our experienced advisors are ready to discuss your financial goals and design a plan that works for you. Remember, planning now can save you from paying more later. Advisory services offered through Financial Sense Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Financial Sense Securities, 
member FINRA SIPC, both companies doing business as Financial Sense Wealth Management. Financial Sense does not provide tax advice. Clients or prospects should consult with their own tax advisors to determine the potential tax benefits or consequences of engaging in a particular strategy or transaction. Well, the stock market major indexes are hitting new highs, but there are fewer companies that are participating. So what does all of this mean? Let's find out. Joining us on the program is Ms. Schneider from Market Gauge. Mish, let's start out with the major indexes. S&P, the day you and I are speaking, record highs. NASDAQ is getting there. Dow is getting there. But we're seeing, you and I were talking just before we went on the air, we had the MAG-7, then we went to the MAG-6, then we went to the FAB-4. Now we have the dynamic dual. So what's going on here when you see a small concentration of stocks like that? Well, we know that that's been a concern going into this year, and a lot of people felt it was the reason why we were having the rally. But there are other companies that have gone to new highs, or at least new 52-week highs. Some of them, believe it or not, in the discretionary retail space, some of them in the biotech space. And then there are other areas that are holding up that look promising, like, for example, the transportation space. So I think it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that it's really only been those few stocks. And now we went from seven down to two. There is obviously an issue with breadth in the market, especially if you look at the small caps. But there's so I have two comments on that. Number one is that the divide between the small caps, let's say, and the growth stocks was unsustainable. It was getting to be, you know, that rubber band stretch that you know there's going to be some kind of a snap. And yet we haven't really seen the snap yet, even with some of those stocks, the big ones falling out of favor. And number two is, is that now really you have to look at what is going to be the growth from these levels in these companies. And that's why we're down to no surprise NVIDIA and Microsoft. Microsoft because Apple's having its issues in terms of innovation and Google had its issues with advertising. Tesla, obviously, in the EV space was not ever an area we wanted to invest in anyway at this point. That might change. I'm not thinking it's dead forever. And then in terms of Amazon, there is definitely, obviously, that's a strong company, but a lot's going to depend on what happens with the consumer. So you've got NVIDIA, right? So NVIDIA, as we were talking about before the show, depending on how you look at it from a PE, when it was trading at around 5, 550, it actually showed that it had potential to go up and it wasn't over bloated in terms of its PE ratios. And now here we are close to 700. So does it go to 750? Does it go to 800? We don't know, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. In terms of Microsoft, it hasn't quite flown up to where I thought it could go up to about 485. It's trading around 410, 411, but it's about to launch the Copilot, which I think can really revolutionize AI way more than almost anything else because of the fact that it will help people organize their entire lives and their work lives. So yeah, so it remains to be seen. But yeah, we have other things we have to keep an eye on that could be a nail in the coffin, so to speak. Well, if you look at the S&P 500, you've got consumer staples, which are considered more of a safety type trade if the economy is weakening. You have financials, which are ripping. You have industrials that are going out. You have tech, but other defensive sectors, which are probably getting hurt with interest rates, utilities, and some of the others aren't doing as well. So it's kind of a bifurcated mixed market in many ways. It really is. And I think that what makes it even more interesting right now is 
you can almost pick your stat you want to look at. If you're a bull, you can find plenty of stats that will support a bull case. And if you're a bear, you can find plenty of stats that will support a bear case. And here's a perfect case in point. Let's talk about the consumer. There was a big headline today that said that consumer credit card debt is, you know, through the roof. But yet at the same time, there's a SLU's report that says that not only is the economy accelerating, but that in terms of the consumer, and I just want to make sure I get this right, that there's, if you look at a graph of the credit card debt rising, um, the percent of credit card debt relative to the money in the bank, though, that people have is near the lowest it's been in 20 years. So there is money there. Consumers have money. So a lot of what happens in this market is going to be where the consumers decide to spend their money. And that's, I think, I have a theory on that we can talk about. But all of this is all well and good until, of course, inflation comes back, which is another topic I know you and I love to talk about. Yeah, there's this impression now that we've gotten the worst of inflation behind us. But, you know, if you just think of mission, this is something that really struck me. If you look at where interest rates are now and you compare that to three or four years ago when you got zero. So retirees are getting 5% on T-bills. They're getting them on CDs. That's putting money into the economy, which adds to spending. And I just don't see it. We're looking at commodities and I want to get into that here shortly. We're assuming that commodities remain muted. But as you and I were speaking before we went on the air, there's some commodity indexes that are starting to break out. Yeah. And there's another interesting way you can look at the statistics. Yeah, I mean, going back to that SLU's report, that's really related to wage growth, right? And it's showing that wage growth is re-accelerating, which is inflationary. If you want an expansion of the economy, that's inflationary. If consumers actually, even though they're doing credit card debt, and that's kind of that doom spending that people are talking about, they still have more money to spend and they're spending. Inflationary. And that's just the obvious economic consequences of a robust economy is that it does come with some inflation. And so I think this 2% rate that the Fed is focused on, and not that I have any of the background that they have from an economic standpoint to criticize the Fed, but I think 2% is unrealistic. If you want a growing economy, you're looking more like at a 3% inflation. So that's the perfect world. Now let's go back to where inflation has been. Since June, CPI bottomed out. Globally, we still have inflation problems. And then if you take a look at obviously what's happening in the Middle East, that's certainly far from resolved. The Ukraine, far from resolved. So BRICS, which now even Janet Yellen has mentioned is a concern to her. You know, we have all these floating balls that can take the inflation and do what you and I thought might happen maybe sometime more towards spring and summer. And that's another spike in the super cycle because of everything we just mentioned. Now, that brings up an interesting proposition. The Fed is talking about, hey, we think the economy's in a good space. We think inflation is going in the direction that we want, but we're not, let's say, they don't want to just lower rates now in case they end up like the 70s. So let's take a scenario, the market's expecting rate cuts by summer. What happens if by summer inflation starts to rise again? Where does that put the Fed in? Well, it puts them in a real pickle, which they've been in a pickle anyway. And I actually have to say hats off. They've done better than I would have anticipated to this date in terms of the big giant pause they've had now for months and months and months to allow certain companies to digest them and be more realistic, which is why you're having so much problem with the commercial banks right now. They couldn't. And by the way, even the interest rate of payback from the government based on debt is also higher because of the fact that the interest rates are higher. We don't know what the fallout is there. So I 
I actually think in an election year, I mean, unless inflation goes ballistic, so what would make it go ballistic? Either a big weather event or a big war event, a big supply chain event. Short of that happening, even if we just trickle up a little bit in inflation in a more controlled fashion, they'll probably stay paused and not raise ahead of an election. And also knowing that there are things that could easily break in the economy. And at this point now, they've achieved some kind of a normalization. I can't imagine they would want to upset that apple cart. And given a choice, and again, unless it was some crazy inflation spike because of a war or a weather event, they probably would just say, we're not lower yet, but we're going to keep things the way they are. That's. I think they would want to save the economy from a collapse rather than worry about the inflation so much. They'll go back to the transitory conversation. What do you think in terms of interest rate and market expectation of that? Because, all right, we've kind of given up on the March cut. So, okay, it's been pushed off. It's kind of like this recession we've been talking about for two years. So the recession's been postponed. Now we're talking soft landing. And well, what does the market do when it starts realizing, well, maybe there's there isn't going to be a cut. What happens then? Which I think I had to look into what does no landing really mean? And it's exactly what you're describing, which is they don't necessarily cut. Inflation doesn't necessarily come down, in fact, goes up. And I think the market hasn't really prepared for that yet. There seems to be, well, listen, I mean, let's talk about the war for a second, because that's probably the biggest factor. And one of the things that we can see in terms of the sentiment not just here in this country, but globally, is that we've got this. America's got this. There's nothing going to happen over there. Even people have suggested that Iran has said this, that we can handle and not only handle, but we have the military might to do whatever we want. So I wouldn't worry about the war as much unless they start exploding oil tanks. And then we're, we, we really are going back in time, back to the 70s. But what I would worry about more than anything, and I don't think anybody's really prepared for, is this collective agreement now among the our rivals, which would be China, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and a bunch of other countries. I heard that Dubai is third in terms of how many people are, countries are looking at a de-dollarization, particularly when you're talking about petrol dollars. You know, and, I, and this is what worries me, because if you really want to hurt the U.S., you're not going to do it with bombs. You can only hurt the U.S., through its financial system. So that would either mean some major cybersecurity thing. And I think I feel pretty good about the fact that we're probably on top of that. So it would, the only other way would be to really attack the reserve currency status of the dollar. And that has not happened yet. In fact, if you look at the dollar, people would say to me, I'm crazy. The dollar's actually strengthened recently. But we can see it's trending that way. And in which case, getting back to your question on the Fed and the market, I don't know if anybody would know what to do with that. That would be the worst case scenario. You know, you bring up an interesting point because China does not have an open market. So the advantage the U.S. has, if you trade with the U.S., you're holding excess dollars, you can put it to work in our market, treasury bills, uh, treasury bonds. You can't do that in China. But China is the largest buyer of gold. And they're buying this gold. In fact, central bank gold buying is why, why gold, in my opinion, has stayed so strong. But what happens as more and more countries trade with China, and then what they do is they take their excess yuan or renminbi, and they exchange it for gold. In a way, it weakens the dollar. Absolutely. Well, this is just another case. And also we have $33 trillion worth of debt and rising. Who's going to buy our debt? I mean, we're the biggest buyer of our debt, but still there are so many inherent problems. Like I said, there's over a trillion dollars just of interest 
rate payments that we have in paying back the debt. So yeah, this is definitely could be the house of cards, which I pray doesn't happen because I think it would be so devastating. Nobody's really prepared for that. Or I should say nobody, very few people, except for the people who are considered to be the rogue doomed days sayers. But yeah, you know, let's assume now that we're still far from that happening. Let's go back to the Fed and right now. What also could happen, I think, with the Fed is that instead of, even though they're talking about pausing these interest rates right here, we know mortgage rates, they don't move nearly as much as people think. I actually spoke to a mortgage broker yesterday and he said, all this talk about mortgage rates are down, mortgage rates are up. Really, they've only slid up and down around a half a percent when you're actually going to buy a house right now. And by the way, interestingly enough, people are buying down the mortgage rate by putting up more cash than just the 20% down they have to put on a house right now, which I also thought was interesting, but I don't want to digress. Getting back, it would be a matter of the fact that if this commercial bank, that's probably our biggest risk right now, right? We just got Moody's just downgraded that New York bank to junk. If that becomes a trend, the Fed has to go in and protect that. They have to, which means the balance sheet, instead of going down, goes back up. So now we have the risk of a monetary policy sort of getting out of control. And whether we feel it in the actual interest rate or we feel it in other places, that could also force them to have to lower regardless of inflation. And so, you know, these are these are the, the, the scary balls out there. But if we just go right now to the present, Jim, I've got to say my biggest concern is the small caps. They're not really in the game is the way I'd like to see them. I see sugar going up. I see grain starting to go back up. Gold obviously is very strong. Silver, gold miners, they haven't really moved, but that doesn't mean that they won't. We have other food prices very high. I know the big headlines have been OJ and cocoa, but we have other places where they're high. And, and it just feels like everything is going along too smoothly without the risk of something snapping. But how will we know something snapped? I think it would either be the small caps start to really fall apart here, the retail kind of sector and the consumer gives it up, which hasn't happened yet, or like I said, the dollar starts to free fall in some way. But right now, we're pretty good. I want to throw something out. I attended a conference of people talking about AI, and the projections are by, I think it's 2027, AI will consume nearly 25% of our electricity. I mean, you know, we think of our iPhones, hey, it doesn't take much to charge it. But think of what your iPhone does, the data centers, the cloud, all of this. I just wonder where in the heck we're going to get all this electricity to power AI, plus all the other things they want to do like EVs and the other stuff. And so we're looking at companies that would maybe help build out the grid. But, you know, electricity, we just assume, well, maybe not in California where we have brownouts all the time, but we assume that when we get up in the morning, the alarm clock works, the coffee maker works, and you turn on the lights and that works. But what happens when we, this is becoming more and more of an issue for everyone? Have you heard of a gentleman named George Gilder? I sure have. Okay. So, you know, he's written like 20 books. I got to hang out with him on an Eagle publishing company. We have a deal with them right now. And we went on a cruise to talk to some of their high net worth investors that were on the cruise. And George was there. And George did a talk and he and I got to talking. And what he was talking about is what he thinks is going to revolutionize everything way bigger than semiconductors ever did. And that's graphene. 
So in my very rough explanation of what graphene is, basically it comes from graphite. But they've discovered in Israel, by the way, that if you wrap this graphite in enough plastic, it actually becomes a superconductor in a not only much more efficient way, but in a much cheaper way. He thinks that's the next revolution that's going to change the entire world for the better. Now, he tends to be an optimist, so that's a good thing. But I mean, that would have to be the answer. But are we a year out, two years out, three years out, four years out, 10 years out? who knows? He's so ahead of the curve as he always tends to be. I mean, the guy's a real visionary. But yeah, that's just something to put in the back of your mind. There is a solution. It just may not be a solution that's ready anytime soon to meet the demand by 2027. So given what we see right now, we're watching the consumer. You're looking at interest rates. We're looking at inflation. And we're also looking at the small caps. Where would you be positioned right now? Would you be somewhat cautious? Would you be defensive? Something in between? What looks good to you? Well, in terms of momentum trades, I really enjoyed watching and investing in some of the stocks that have to do with the consumer based on what I think could also revolutionize things, which is these diet drugs. So I think that there's a whole huge percentage of obesity in this country that if people start to migrate into these drugs and finally lose weight and keep it off, and I know there's controversy, but you can't say side effects of obesity are any worse or better than side effects of drugs like this ozempium or GLP-1, that could actually get people to want to go out and meet and greet. So I think public interaction, which has stopped basically in the workplace to a large degree, will increase socially as people feel better. And then they'll want to take care of their skin and their hair and their fashion and go to gyms. And so I've been watching stocks like that, not only Lilly and Novo, that's the stock for the other drug, but also like Ralph Lauren and Target and New Skin and Ipar, which is a perfume, things where consumers can flock to. So we're that's on the more momentum trade. On terms of the more contrarian trade, we just invested in solar again, TAN. Haven't looked at TAN in a long time, but it hit 40. And that's because not only technically did it look very cheap, but we just had some good earnings in Enphase and I saw Solar Edge was up a lot. I think we're going to come back into that solar space to answer your question about being able to have some kind of an infrastructure to support these huge demands on electricity. And I'm still very much into the commodities. I'm just laying in wait very patiently with gold and silver and miners. And so those are our main areas. But then our quants, they're in small caps, but the leaders of the small caps, the ones that have the best earnings. So you look at the companies now that we're going through earnings that have been able to survive these interest rates, survive this environment, whether it's in large caps or small caps or it's transportation stocks. And I think those would be the ones, barring anything crazy, like inflation going out of control, that can really start continue to do well this year. So that's kind of what we're focused on. You know, the good news and something I haven't seen in two decades, the good thing about some of the miners, you take a look at Newmont with a dividend yield of over 4%. We didn't get that in the OO decade. Now you're getting dividends. So if you just want to be patient, at least you're getting paid something equal to treasuries. Exactly. I mean, you know, that's kind of a dicey game because if, if the stock gets killed, your dividends do not make up for the position you have in the company. But yeah, at these levels, as long as you have some sense about risk. It's probably not a bad do to look at some of these miners on the dividend paying. You know, we actually bought some GDX and it's just not doing anything, but it's not going down either. So that's why I would feel at this point that it's running out of momentum to the downside with a lot of upside potential, not only because of its worth 
relative to the rest of the market, it's so undervalued. But because it's another raw material that is going to be needed if we're going to actually have any kind of economic expansion, which I think we can get to in 2025, 2026, but we're just laying the seeds right now. All right. Well, listen, Mish, as we close, if our listeners would like to follow your work, you really put out, you're a prolific writer. You put out a lot of stuff. How can they follow you? Well, on X, it's at Market Minute. I have a LinkedIn page where I post a lot of the content. That would be under Michelle Schneider. I have an Instagram account and we have a website, which is marketgage.com. Everything is posted there. So that's how you get to a lot of the content that I put out, which is Mish's Market Minute Daily, plus all my media clips, including this one will go on our website as well. If you ever want to watch, I kind of put a description in the daily of what we've talked about, the main highlights. So if something interests people, they can always find the clip and listen to it. Well, listen, Mish, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Hope to talk to you again in the future. You have a good rest of the week. Thank you, Jim. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. I love talking to you. So I look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you for having me. That concludes our weekend edition of the Financial Sense News Hour. To speak with our financial planning and wealth management team, give us a call at 888-486-3939. Or you can also visit us on our website, financialsensewealth.com. If you aren't already a subscriber to our weekday podcast and would like to listen to more of our content where we regularly interview book authors, industry experts, and market strategists from around the globe, go to financialsense.com and hit the subscribe button. On behalf of Financial Sense NewsHour and the Financial Sense Wealth Management Team, We hope you have a pleasant weekend. The Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in Financial Sense or arising out of the use of any material on the News Hour. Be advised that you invest at your own risk.